Rising Giants Network. Welcome to Los Angeles 1981. An absolute crazy time to be alive. Sex, drugs and rock and roll are on the verge of taking a new toll on the masses with the rise of the wacky hair metal movement. Bands all over Europe were taken over the world with a new wave of British heavy metal. And everyone, well, everyone just wanted to have a good time. In the same year, in what almost seemed like a different plane of energy, a phone call that led to the meeting of a musician by the name of Lars Ulrich and another James Hetfield would go on to change music history as we know it. From the Rising Giants Network, this is Legendary Rock Stories Season 1. The story of heavy metal titans Metallica. Our story starts a little earlier than 1981. Danish-born Lars Ulrich was all set to follow in his father's footsteps to become a world-class professional tennis player. Turban Ulrich was quite successful at that. In fact, in 1976, he was the top-ranked senior player in the world. He had always encouraged little Lars to be the best player that he could be. But fate, well, fate had a different plan for Ulrich. It was the sounds of rock and roll legends Deep Purple that carved a new path for him. One day, Turban had a surprise for Lars. It was a pair of tickets. A pair of tickets to a band that would become Lars's inspiration. Hey Lars, my son. Lars, uh, get in here, son. Uh, yes, dad? I have tickets to Deep Purple. Would you like to go? Uh, what's Deep Purple, Dad? Oh, little Lars, my boy. They're a phenomenal band. A phenomenal band. Rock icons. We should go. The sounds of Deep Purple changed his life forever. When he saw those guys perform live, his eyes sparkled. The lights, the sounds of the guitars, the epic vocals, the pure energy of rock and roll put a lightning bolt in little Lars's heart. And he knew, on that night, he was destined for a path to forge rock and roll history. After that pivotal night, Ulrich got into music more and more. Some years later, in his teenage years, he started to discover the global rising scene of the new wave of British heavy metal. A rock movement that originated out of the United Kingdom and took over the world in the 1970s. Bands like Diamond Head, Iron Maiden, and Samson let an extra fire within Lars. It was time of metal magic, and he was eating it all up. After practicing the drums for a few years, from a kit given to him by his grandmother, Lars decided it was time to start jamming with other people who loved music as much as he did. He wanted to share his passion and energy with other rock fans who loved the same music that he did. And so it happened. In early 1981, he decided to put an ad out in the paper, the recycler paper to be precise.
Uh, hello? Yeah, hi. Uh, how can I help you? Um, uh, I, I want to place an ad in the paper, please. Sure. What do you want to say, young man? Hmm. Okay, write this. Drummer looking for other metal musicians to jam with. Tigers of Pangtang, Diamond Head, and Iron Maiden. So specific. But Lars knew the type of players he wanted to jam with. He wanted to build on the new wave of British heavy metal and take it from there. And so the ad was out there. And as fate would have it, the phone call happened. A young 17-year-old blonde pimple-faced kid named James Hetfield, along with his friend and then bandmate Hugh Tanner, happened to pick up that very issue of the recycler. They read the words of the ad, they were intrigued, and decided to pick up that phone and call Lars. Hello? Yeah, hi. I saw this ad in the paper. Um, you guitar player? Yeah, I'd like to jam some Maiden tunes if you're up for it. Uh, sure, yeah, let's do it. A short phone call, but these two kids probably had no idea what that swift conversation would mean in the future. They most probably had no idea because of that one phone call, heavy metal history was going to change forever. Let's take a step back and talk about Hetfield a little bit. The Metallica frontman came from a completely different background to Ulrich. Ulrich was an affluent, upper-middle-class kid from Europe, but Hetfield was an all-American kid with a childhood that couldn't be any different. When Ulrich was enjoying rock concerts at the age of 13, Hetfield was going through the troubled times of his parents' divorce. It wasn't easy as a kid. His parents were strict Christian scientists who disapproved of the use of medicine even as his mother was dying of cancer. This affected young Hetfield greatly and would be a source of his lyrical approach in many notable Metallica songs in the future. In his early teens, James started listening to his half-brother's vinyl records, learning more about rock and roll. He soon picked up the guitar once he heard the thunderous riffs of Joe Perry, the lead guitarist of Aerosmith. During his high school years, he would jam with a few friends and would play good old American football. But when it came to his band life, he got sick of playing covers. Hetfield wanted more. He wanted to write. He wanted to compose. He wanted to build his own ragers. He just wanted to move beyond being in a cover band. Simply put, he was musically frustrated. On a summer day in 1981, Hetfield talks to his bandmates. Guys, I got this new riff. Check it out. God, James, bro. If we want to get the chicks, we need to play the covers, you know? Pour some sugar on me, you know what I mean? Ah, we need more, guys. We need to start writing some originals. He knew he had to find new players. They were simply not up for the job anymore. At some point, Hetfield even considered joining his high school football team and focus on that instead. But when his coach flat out said, you gotta cut your hair to be in the team, Hetfield thought, fuck that, I want to rock, thus ending his potential football career before it even began. Right, so back to 1981 Los Angeles. Even though there was no such thing as Metallica just yet, Ulrich had already started to hustle hard to secure himself a track on an upcoming metal compilation that was going to make the rounds in the scene. He knew this was his chance to be heard. 
practically begging Metal Blade Records founder Brian Slagle, who was in charge of the compilation, to give his yet-to-be-formed band a chance. Slagle accepted. All Ulrich needed to do now was put together a band that could kick ass and write a superb song. No pressure. On a hot early summer day in May, James and Lars finally met for the first time. James's buddy Hugh Tanner, who played the guitar in some of James's earlier projects, also joined them for the first jam session. The result? Ah, uh, not so great. Both James and Hugh thought Lars was just a little odd. Uh, I don't know, man. He was weird. Yeah, bro. Uh, he smelled funny, too. <laughs> Never mind. He can't even play. Yeah, man. Forget this guy. James and Lars came from very different backgrounds. But even though James didn't really like Lars's playing at first, Lars was persistent to see James again. After a few hangout sessions and bonding over records that they both liked, they both realized that their visions for starting a new band were similar. They both wanted to build on the new wave of British heavy metal and create their own epic tracks. James and Lars were in. The initial seeds of Metallica formation were planted. But to be a full band, they needed a bass player and a lead guitarist. Another person who answered the ad that Lars placed in the paper was guitar legend Dave Mustaine. Big, blonde-haired, tall, not very smiley, Dave was no lightweight guitar player. He was fast, he was fierce, and he was full of metal attitude. Sporting a guitar that looks like it rose from the depths of hell, Dave was ready to audition for his spot in the newly formed Metallica. Standing outside the jam room, James says to Lars, Damn, this guy's good. Yeah, I don't even think we need to jam. Dave steps out of the jam room. All right, I'm ready. We gonna jam? Uh, no, you got the gig. That's right. Dave didn't even have to jam with the band. He impressed the boys so much that just by warming up, they offered him the job on the spot. Shortly after, James's buddy from a prior band, bassist Ron McGovney, joins the fold completing the first iteration of Metallica, and Metallica yet to go through several member changes in its first year before settling on its first fixed lineup. So, how did the name come about? The story goes a little like this. Lars was having a conversation with his buddy, Ron Quintana. Ron was brainstorming names for his upcoming metal fanzine, or magazine, whatever you want to call it. One of the names suggested was Metallica, Lars loved it, but he told Quintana it sucked. He suggested another name to Ron, and Lars kept Metallica. And the rest, as they say, is history. Alright, now that we got that out of the way, let's jump back into the new dynamic of the first quartet known as Metallica in 1981. The band recorded this famous and widely circulated demo, No Life to Leather, which made the rounds in the LA rock scene. People started talking about this new band with new ferocious sound. They're special, they're fresh, and they do not give an ounce of a shit. But within the ranks of the newly formed band, drama started to brew. Not even a year in, bassist Ron McGovney had enough of the inner band bravado and decided to call it quits. At the same time, the band started noticing that the guitar player they had recruited was starting to get out of hand with his alcohol and drug abuse. This resulted in constant clashes between Mustaine and his new bandmates. Still though, Dave Mustaine would hang around a little longer in the band before shit really hits the fan. Meanwhile, with about seven songs in the bag, the band was now looking for a new bass player to complete the ranks. 
So the search has begun. Lars and James would eventually attend a show at the famed rock bar, The Troubadour, where they wanted to watch a band called Trauma. And the ranks of this band was a person that would be pivotal to Metallica's journey, Mr. Cliff Burton. Cliff had a larger-than-life persona. When he played the bass, he played it with soul. His stage presence was wild and large. People were in awe of him, a tall and charismatic young man. When he got on stage that night, and he started playing that bass, it sounded like someone was shredding on a guitar. Think about it. A bass sounding like a guitar solo. Well, that was going to get anyone's attention. And so it did. James and Lars looked for Cliff after the show to ask him to join their band Metallica. It took Cliff some time to get back to the band. He wasn't very happy with his current band and eventually decided to give Metallica a shot. On one condition, they'd move out to San Francisco to base the band out of there. Look, dudes, I like you guys, and I like what you're saying. I'm kind of getting over trauma right now, and, you know, the dudes are becoming a little too commercial for my liking. So, you know, I, I just want to try something new. Um, yeah, look, I think you're awesome, and we'd love to have you in Metallica. Yeah, you... Me, Lars, Dave. Look, we can be a really powerful bunch here, man. I'll drink to that, dudes. And I would do it. On one condition, though. I do not want to be based in L.A. You dudes need to come out to San Francisco and we'll crush it out in the Bay Area. Think about how good Cliff must have been for the band to uproot themselves and move. Metallica really wanted Cliff. I mean... He was really good. They hadn't seen or heard anyone like him. They'd never heard anyone make the bass sound like that. They had to have him. How can they pass up the opportunity? How can they pass up this chance? Cliff wasn't only a bass player. He was a writer as well. He was the real deal. He was a musician. He was what Metallica needed to take their band to the next level. And if it meant they needed to relocate to the Bay Area, well, so be it. So two milestones happened here. Metallica recruited bassist Cliff Burton, a force in Metallica's early writing capabilities. The second, Metallica relocated to the Bay Area in San Francisco. The city would become their home for the rest of their careers. Lars, James, and Dave settled in San Francisco, and after recording a few demos, playing a few shows, and gaining a sizable following, the new iteration of Metallica featuring James Hetfield, Lars Ulrich, Cliff Burton, and Dave Mustaine started making some real noise in the scene and were ready to record their first album. Now you have to understand, this was no normal sounding band. At a time where melody, high-pitched vocals, mid-tempo bands were doing really well, Metallica were offering something completely new, something fresh, a genre of music that would later be termed as thrash metal. It was fast, they had no makeup on, they looked like regular guys who just wanted to play. This was what made them stand out. It was their willingness to play a different style of heavy metal music to a hungry scene that propelled them into their initial success. But success isn't easy to come by, and they needed money to make records, and so they embarked on their journey. The band tried to secure funding for their first record by knocking on multiple doors. 
After all, starting a band is like starting a business. You can't just make it. You need business acumen, and you need money to help you record and promote. Lars was on it. He knocked on every door, turned every stone, and with the help of concert promoter Johnny Zazula, who heard their initial demo, the band was booked to play in New York City. And as a result, the band tried to reach out to multiple studios across the city, but were consistently turned down. The band would hear things like, Nah, sorry kid, this music is just not for us. I don't see it ever taking off. But you need to have an open mind. Sorry kid, good luck. Imagine what would have happened if the guys got discouraged and ended it right there. Imagine how different the rock and metal scene would have been. Yikes, I don't even want to know. Anyway, back to our story. Zazula believed in these guys so much that he scrapped from his savings and even borrowed some more just to raise enough money for these four kids from the Bay Area to record their debut album. Johnny talks to the guys. Now listen here, guys. I got the money. Cheers! Yeah! 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 Wait, wait. Now listen. I need you guys to take this seriously. This is all the money I got. I believe in you guys. I know you're going to go the distance. I know you can make it. You have a different, fresh sound. And the world needs to hear it. The world needs to hear Metallica. Crazy! Zazula came through. After months of knocking on doors, they finally have the money to record. He even promised to sign them to his own startup label, Megaforce Records. But to move forward, Metallica needed to tighten some loose ends. Now... To anybody who knows Metallica, it's no secret that Hetfield and Ulrich had real issues with Mustaine. On a few occasions, both Hetfield and Mustaine got into verbal and allegedly physical altercations. Mustaine had a big problem with drug and alcohol abuse, which often ended up in the band getting at each other's throats. According to original bass player Ron McGovney, he was blindsided when he was drunk. Just one beer too many would throw him off a cliff. The band was faced with a decision. What do we do with Mustaine? He was credited with so much creativity on their demos. He was one of the best guitar players they had ever seen. But he was also becoming way too much for them to handle. Do they go on with him in the band for the sake of the creative process? Or do they take a risk to find somebody else? The decision was finally made. In early 1983, as Metallica got ready to go into Rochester, New York, they decided that it was time for Dave to go. One morning, as the band got ready to leave to Rochester, they woke up Dave Mustaine from his sleep, and as he opened his eyes, he saw the three members hovering over him. Lars was the first to say something. Dave, Dave, wake up. What? What do you want? Why are you all standing there? What's going on? Sorry, man. We need to let you go. You're out of the band. What? What do you mean? You're out. Out? You can't fire me. I wrote most of these fucking songs. Sorry, man, but we just... We need something else in this band. You assholes! You woke me up to tell me this? Just before we head out to Rochester? No second chances? Nothing? No warnings? This is bullshit! It's final, bro. We got you a ticket to go back to L.A. You. And just like that, the band packed up Dave Mustaine's gear, put him on a bus to Los Angeles, 
his time with Metallica was over. And Metallica were back on the hunt for a new member. Someone who can be as good as Dave on guitar, but without the personal baggage. James and Lars wasted no time. They had heard of a fellow West Coast guitar player who had formed another band that was making its early rounds in the Bay Area as well. The band was called Exodus, and the guitarist was Kirk Hammett. Kirk was known for his speed and his melody, and that's exactly what the band needed. So they called him right away. Hello? Hey, um, is this Kirk? This is Lars. Lars Ulrich from the band Metallica. Metallica? Oh yeah, hey Lars, how are you? Great, listen, we're looking for a guitar player, um, someone who can rip the guitar as fast as you. We got studios booked and a deal on the line. You think it can fly out? Well, I do have some shows with Exodus. I need to find some cash and see if I can make it out there. But yeah, I am interested. Kirk had heard of Metallica before. He heard about their ferocious attitude. So he was interested. He had to work hard to get some extra money. But when he did, he flew out to New York and auditioned for the band. He played Mustaine's parts flawlessly. Plus, he got on pretty well with the band's diverse personalities. The first song they played was Seek and Destroy, a song that would become a staple track in Metallica's live performances over the next 30 years. James and Lars loved Kirk. They knew that they had found their guy and the band was going to be all right. Meanwhile, Dave Mustaine headed back to Los Angeles. Filled with grief, anger, and rage as a result of his firing, he decided to continue his musical path and ended up starting his own group. He hooked up with bassist Dave Ellefson and formed a band that would ultimately become one of the biggest names in rock music, Megadeth. As Kirk became a permanent member of Metallica, we finally had our official quartet, the four members that will build the foundations of Metallica, the four guys that will go on to write four albums together that would reshape our very understanding of the boundaries of heavy music. The official Metallica is now born. On the next episode of Legendary Rock Stories, We go over the initial rise of Metallica and the struggles they faced to reach new heights. Legendary Rock Stories is a Rising Giants Network production. Written and narrated by myself, Basil Anatawi, sound design and audio engineering by Bashar Najjar. Produced by the Rising Giants Network at BKP Studios. We have researched this show to the best of our abilities. Some of the dialogue may have been enhanced to bring you closer to the story. All sourcing can be found in our website or in our show notes. Make sure you subscribe to the Legendary Rock Stories on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can check out all of our upcoming shows on risinggiantsnetwork.com. Until next time, take care, and we'll see you on our next episode. <laughs>